electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Indeed it does. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Tyler Matheson. In today from Melissa Lee, our traders on the desk, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, Brian Kelly, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, Apple and Alphabet, a pair of A's rocketing to new all-time highs. Uh, to close out the week, how to trade the sector that seems to go nowhere but up. Plus, home builders have a millennial problem, and it may not be what you think it is. We're going to take a look at what impact it will have on the housing market. And check out this mystery chart. Having a much different day than the rest of the market. A lot of red right there. Steve will break down why he is keeping his eye on that one. But we start today with the monster rally on Wall Street driven by a blowout jobs report. The surge in payrolls helping the Dow and the S&P post their biggest gains in more than a month. The S&P even erasing its sharp losses from earlier in the week. The focus now turns to next week's Fed meeting, the last of, get this, not just the year, last of the, the yeah. decade. Come on. Yeah. The decade. And, is, think and about what a that. decade it has been, A Fed. And yeah. we, I, don't get Guy going on the decade that was the Fed. Yeah, don't get we, me going. This turn into an ugly show. Because we only it's have a, a, a half-hour show tonight. I, I'm happy. You happy? I'm very happy. I'm always happy. Hear the ring. First of all, welcome. Thank you. Very, very good to be back you know, it's you a me, You know, Tyler, oh, we've mentioned many times, I mean, that's CNBC royalty. It's here on a Friday <laughs> Steve mentioned off-air before. I mean, you drew the short straw, but you're here. I am here. So and, thank you. And I am always delighted to be with you guys. But to answer your question, I mean, listen. I, I forgot the, the question. The other three what guys on the, the desk <laughs> have absolutely been positive. They've been correct. This market it seems impervious to all bad news. Today's job numbers, for those watching at home, people will say this was the best-case scenario for both the market and the Fed next week. That all may be true. But you know what? As much as you can uh, jawbone these trade talks... We're still no closer, I believe, today than we were six months ago or so. December 15th is right around the horizon. The warning signs are there. But then you look and see a market that's pushing all-time highs with stocks that, again, seem impervious to bad news. It's very hard to make a cogent negative argument right now. It almost now. seems that bad news, I'm not going to say it's good news, but if bad news lingers, the Fed comes back in play. Yeah. So, and you can't risk shorting the market. Because you have a good headline coming out. If there's a trade problem and there's no deal or tariffs go up, then it brings the Fed back into the And you have the Fed. So you have the Fed if, if, if bad news persists, economic data goes south. But if there's good news, the market rallies. What's been so interesting to me this year, and maybe going back to maybe March of last year, yep. is the idea that every day we come on air and we talk about the latest trade tweet or headline on it's been a on, week of that on too. Tuesday. Yeah. The president yeah. says, well, I, I don't need to do a deal. Maybe it may be better off to wait until next year. So the market goes down this morning. Larry Kudlow says, oh, we're getting close again. The market goes up in part, part for that part for the uh, for the jobs report on any given day. The market is hostage to the trade headlines. But when you go back and you look at the whole year. There's been trade headlines practically every day, and the market's mm -hmm. up, what, 25 percent? Right. And, and Tyler, so how, how material is it really? It's, it's interesting because, you know, this week we've had a couple of guests. I certainly remember Joe Lavornia coming on here saying, I, I, 
trade deal means nothing to me. Um, and ultimately, if you look at what's been priced in and how the market has responded, and there are a lot of folks that think that. I was listening to Adrian Moe out at CLSA. He's their strategist saying the same thing today. And that ultimately, a trade deal um, is something that is seen as incremental delta from here higher, but that in the short run, um, we've priced in a trade deal. And, and if you think about today's payroll number, um, I've seen Goldilocks before, and Goldilocks looks pretty darn attractive today relative to I've seen Goldilocks. What it means is you got a boost. You almost got an acceleration of growth today from that payroll number. You had a jobless claims number uh, yesterday that was took away some of the fear. Total diversion between ADP and non-farm payrolls, which was bizarre. Treasury bond yields did almost nothing today. And, and also, when you looked at the wages, this was a non-inflationary payroll number. And I think that, you know, I heard a lot of folks, a lot of economists I, I trust and think about come in today after this number and say, I still think the Fed's on hold until the middle part of 2020. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think you have to play that. I mean, even if they raised a quarter point, if you have strong payrolls like this, the market is going to say, hey, you know what? All that negativity that we priced in in October and November is no longer warranted. So we have to reprice this, reprice the acceleration. Whether or not that comes true, that's something for Q1, Q2 of next year. But for right now, I think what Grasso is saying when you can't short this market is that the market just goes up on, on every single piece of these news. So to me, the way I've been playing it is you have this breakout in the market. Maybe it's a blow off top. But the bottom line is, until proven otherwise, you have to be long stop. You're going to get your chance to short the market, I think, in come Q1. That's where you see where estimates are. And I think everyone's going to ratchet up estimates, probably a little bit too high for earnings. If they can't walk over earnings, then you're going to get your chance to short them early next year, not now. Not now. The, the thing that, that I look at and, and I sit there and I go, okay, low inflation, moderate growth. Low inflation the way no. the Fed measures inflation. The way the Fed measures so, okay, inflation. Okay, I'll play the game. Okay, right? In, low, pretty low inflation, moderate, not runaway growth, low and accommodating interest rates, uh, recession and global slowdown, seemingly those worries are, are away. It doesn't get much better than that for stocks, right? It doesn't get much better than that. And you add on top of that, that in the fact that since September, the Fed has increased their balance sheet at the quickest yeah. pace they have in a decade. I mean, I think it's now more than $300 billion over that course of time. Now the balance sheet's north of $4, uh, billion, uh, $4 trillion, trillion, trillion dollars again. Yep. I mean, that's a significant number. And the escalation, so they that's can... almost they as can, much money as BlackRock has. Right? Which, which is equivalent to which, cutting. Which is equivalent to cutting. the reverse of the way it was when they were tightening. But you have to ask yourself again, what do they see? You know, they don't want... They call what they want. It doesn't matter what they call it. This is another round of QE. What do they see? What are they so scared of? I mean, that's what concerns me. Now, the market always, doesn't yeah. care. But you have to wonder what they care about. Well, the market does care. The market cares that they're putting more liquidity into the system. That's all the market cares about at this point in time. I don't think they're seeing anything that anybody else is out there. I don't think they have a crystal ball. In fact, the history of the Fed shows that they're probably terrible at forecasting the economy. But the bottom line is, as long as they keep liquidity out there, and to Tyler's point, where we have an economic environment that is looking very different than it did six weeks ago. Six weeks ago, there were calls for recession. Six weeks ago you saw global PMIs turning over. Six weeks ago you had bond markets saying, hey, things are going to be problems here. We saw the, the yield curve flattening again. All those things that the market priced in six weeks ago have changed over the last and, week. And the so. most important thing, though, is you don't get a chance to, growing up in this business, basically, you got a chance to short the news. Buy the rumor, sell the news. Can you sell the news right now? 
You have three phases of it, or five, or six well, phases sure. of but, trade but, deal. Okay, so so to, to put a little sanity back into this, and I, we're not we're, all insane. Who's insane? <laughs> not insane. Who's insane? However. Not insane. But in, Jan, in January 26th of 2018, it all seemed perfect, too. Uh, and we saw a headline on trade. And so what we're maybe saying, though, is that we, we think trade has been put into an appropriate place here. Um, but I, I think that ultimately you get to a place here where if we do see more deceleration, and to be clear, as good as this payroll number was, um, we've had a very choppy data front out of the U.S. over the last, call it six weeks. And that included an ISM this week that was weaker uh, and an ISM services that was weaker. So uh, I, I think we have a case here. And we talked about the Fed. One of the more important parts about guys uh, ass assessing that the Fed is not measuring inflation accurately is that we also heard some rumblings this week that the Fed's target is something they are willing to overshoot. Mm -hmm. And that's another one of these dynamics where we think we could let this thing run a lot hotter than we have in the past because let's face it. If anything, we really are fighting deflation. But where are you bringing that, that is the big one. Where, right. but the where are you bringing the sanity back in? Because the, the, the reason why the market's sold <laughs> I'm sorry. Off. I accuse I mean, you of being insane. Yeah, you and I used off with joining the whole band of insane people over here. I know. That's how well, I But, but I, there is, at some point, you do have to exercise some caution. Because we, you know, it wasn't even three days ago when we had the tweet or we had the news that perhaps the trade deal wasn't as good as possible. That will happen again. So how do you trade your portfolio in this, right? As the market starts to rise and as everybody gets euphoric, then you buy puts. You buy some protection. When the VIX is low, you want to buy some protection at that point in time. That way you can hold your core positions and you don't have to worry about the one tweet taking you out of a position. We're, th we're three weeks away from the end of the decade. Come on. Three weeks away. <laughs> we, we don't talk enough about that. Yeah. I'm going to be back with you guys on Tuesday, but I'm going to ask the question tonight anyway. Will the next decade be as good as this decade has been? A lot of people believe that. A lot of people believe this is an autopilot. I, I'm hard-pressed to believe that's the case. I mean, I think, listen, I'm one of those people that believe that the errors and the mistakes of 0809 have not been solved. They've just been moved. And at a certain point, that has to come home to roost. And it's going to come home to roost at some point. And a decade is a long time, 10 years, if I'm not mistaken. 10, ten years. So I'm hard-pressed to believe that next decade Historically, can be... Historically, I'll be right here in 10 years. I'll give years. you an emphatic no well, on you, that. No, an it will not be as good. No, it will not be as good. Why, why though? But his, his story, you could have these blips. You could have volatility. We all think sooner or later something has to blow up. But historically, stocks rise 10%, taking out all of the noise, 10% right. on average. Although the, the preceding decade was a lost decade. Yeah, so, I mean, decade, decade, about where we were, I mean, and you, the 70s you have were horrible. You can have and these periods of time where the stocks don't do well. It was just closed in the 70s. We're up 190 later, we can pull up a chart of the last decade and see how much, how much we're up on the S&P. It's like a New Year's show. Can I just say, I know we've got to go to break. You must have been a ball in the 70s. Yes? Oh, yes. I, I, I mean, <laughs> that was more I, fun than I appear to be. That's impossible <laughs> to believe. You know, I mean, that's very fun. All right, let's uh, coming up. Home builders having their best year since 2012, speaking about the decade, but they are struggling to keep up with demand from one key group. What that could mean for the housing market. And later, coffee, anyone? My one trader sure. says this yeah, stock is brewing up a big breakout. We will bring you the name. Ooh. And we are live from Times Square in New York City, and there is much more fast money. See how fast those people are moving? Wow. That's a lot of fast money Boom. moving right there. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. 
Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back, everybody, to Fast Money. First, they only wanted to rent, and mostly in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Now they want to buy, and millennials are so hot on housing right now that builders can't keep up. Diana Olick is live in Washington with those details. Hi, Di. Hi, Ty. Yeah, while the majority of both single and multifamily home construction is in millennial-dense counties, it actually lags the rest of the nation when it comes to meeting demand. Counties with elevated millennial shares account for 62% of the entire U.S. population, but they account for just 59% of single-family home building. This according to the National Association of Home Builders. And it's not just in urban areas. Counties where more than a quarter of the population is millennial include big markets in California and Seattle, Boston, Portland and D.C., but also rural counties in Ohio, Kansas and Missouri. Multifamily construction in millennial counties, which accounts for 80% of all apartment activity nationwide, it's picking up, but still slower than the national pace. And all this to say that the builders are just not doing enough to alleviate this really severe housing shortage that we're seeing. Tyler. All right, Di, thank you very much. Diana Olick in D.C. Home builders have been a sturdy trade for investors this year. The XHB ETF. That's a lot of letters, mm, man. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, it's too many. That's taxing. It's, I'd like to buy a vowel. I think, you, I think you can come up with a better name. <laughs> in there. Up more than 40% in 2019, but not all companies are created equal. In a note out this morning, Goldman Sachs initiated coverage on the sector with mixed reviews. Lennar and Pulte scored buy ratings. Goldman slapped sells on DR Horton and Meritage. So can the red-hot home builders trade hold? Tim. Well, ultimately, what we're hearing are some structural issues in the sector that will make some of these guys have trouble getting to the next incremental level of growth. If you look at valuations, they're actually quite attractive, uh, certainly relative to their history. So uh, they trade about 20 percent cheap to their five-year history here. I, I do think these structural issues in terms of affordability are reasons why I still would rather be in the home improvement names and a, and a Home Depot, which this week kind of wrestled with some really important uh, support levels around 215, 216, uh, and held that 200. I think that that's more where you've seen it, and we talked about the decade that was. Um, Home Depot has outperformed uh, home builders dramatically, as it has the S&P, and I think that trade continues. And you, if you look at how uh, XHB or even ITB, which is the Home Construction Index ETF, how that's traded, we're trading around $46 right now. It's bounced against that three times, so I don't think you have to rush into it, right? You can play the breakout on this, and you're going to still make all kinds of upside if there really is the shortage, because if there's a shortage, the next thing that happens, price has to price rise, up. and that's going to be a pretty good for the home builders. The problem is that home builders can perform, but if you look at rates and you overlay it over the stock price, when rates move higher, these things move lower. Yep. So they could still have great earnings, but there's headwinds with rates, and I, I still think we're, we're closer to higher rates versus lower. Really? Even around well, the Fed. No, but, even, but, ar- no. even around the Fed. Steve, Steve's not insane, and in fact, he makes a good point. <laughs> and think about, think about, though, the insane move, the three standard deviation move we had lower in yields over the summer. You had a place here where yields went from three and a quarter last November down to 144. Um, so that's the environment that really gave a kicker to these trades that I don't think you have. Going Power, forward. you know, I'm a big fan of your show, your two to three show, that, yeah, the, sure. the Power Lunch. The it's power a fantastic lunch. show. And the I know that you've, you've talked recently about this, the restoration hardware, have you yeah. not? Yes, I have. And you look at that stock, and we've talked about it on this show. Look at the last quarter, a ridiculous quarter. Operating margins now 
13%. Same quarter last year, 9.5%. I mentioned that because this is important. This is a very Josh Brown statement. This is important. Listen up. Dan Nathan says that from time to time. But inventories were down 24% year-over-year on sales growth of 6%. You know what that means? It means margins will be better next quarter. 17 times earnings. The stock has gone up basically... 15, 18% in a week and a half, I think it still has room to I'll tell you, my eyeball test confirms what you say, and that is that people are renovating. I just went through a big kitchen renovation. Right, right. World's longest kitchen renovation, by the way, but it's done. Congratulations. you guys over. But, but in my town. No oven, which I thought was special. Well, yeah, no right? oven. You don't no cook? Oven. Why no, put the oven why in? Why cook? Why do right. that? Why exactly. waste money on Another that? Another chiller. Yeah, all you do is two microwaves. You're good. <laughs> uh, but, but, but all the, so many of the houses in my town have signs of contractors out front. Or, or trucks in the, in the driveway, and that is a good sign for the uh, home supply companies. Out yeah, I, I think so. And, again, the, the, the margins on the professional services has allowed these guys to be less cyclical. And at a time, we were very concerned about tariffs impacting prices, uh, especially that coming from, from Asia. These guys have been able to mitigate. You can't get enough about the millennials. And if you'd like to learn more about mm. how millennials are impacting the housing sector, who are the millennials? Head over to who are they? They, they cause trouble. It's weird. Head over to CNBC.com. Home builders aren't keeping up with millennials. They run fast, and there's more fast money ahead. Here's what's coming up next. Gold prices posting their biggest drop in a month. We'll take a look at what that says about the markets and the economy. And we're breaking up the stretchy pants and yoga mats for Lululemon. We'll tell you how the markets are getting ready for that company's earnings. Fast Money returns after the break. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. And welcome back to Fast Money. Got a quick programming note for you. Monday is Coca-Cola's 100th anniversary as a publicly traded company. We're going to crack open a colon with the company's CEO, James Quincy. Be sure to catch him live on Squawk on the Street. That's 9 a.m. Eastern Time. And switching gears, deliberations have started in the defamation case against Elon Musk. Jane Wells has been on a courthouse stakeout and joins us with the details. Hi, Jane. Hi, Tyler. They've been at it for about 50 minutes, uh, and they really have to decide one thing. How would a reasonable person construe the pedo guy tweet? Is it an insult, which means it's an opinion and therefore can't be defamatory? Or was it a false statement of fact, calling this guy a pedophile and therefore harmful? One of the interesting things, we have sketches from inside the courtroom. Vernon Unsworth, the cave expert, has said on the stand that he's kept all this hurt inside and yet he wiped tears from his eyes as his own attorney got choked up during closing arguments telling him it is the privilege of my career to represent you in fact 
The attorney, Lynn Wood, who's quite a character, became emotional so many times, the judge finally told him, keep your emotions in check. Now, both Elon Musk and Vernon Unsworth are here in court, and it's an interesting setup in court where Unsworth is right in front of the jury with his back to them, and Musk is across the way facing the jury. It's a setup I haven't seen before. It's a new building. And Unsworth's attorney, Lynn Wood, was only maybe three feet away from Elon Musk during closing, pointing at him, saying, Elon Musk is a liar. He's a billionaire bully, saying, yes, he knew what he was saying. This wasn't some insult because he had Googled Unsworth about the tweet, before the tweet, and about that area of Thailand. Well, then after that, Musk's attorney got up and said, look, come on, let's get real. This is just an ins two guys insulting each other. Would Vernon Unsworth attorney suggested, hey, we, we've got some ideas for damages if you want to consider them, and here they are. $40 million in compensatory damages, $5 million for actual, meaning up till now, $35 million for assumed in the future. And then to punish him with punitive damage, he's worth $20 billion, maybe at least $150 million would discourage him in the future. Uh, Elon Musk attorney guy said, well, what is this like, the price is right? However, he did say, if you want to consider damages, Give him a dollar, or Vernon Unsworth charges a thousand dollars per speech. He certainly gave a speaking a performance here this week. The jury—it's in the jury's hands right now. Will we get a decision today? It's a Friday afternoon. Jurors often want to get things done before the weekend, so they don't have to come back Monday. They can go back to work. We'll see. All right, Jane. Thank you very much, Jane Wells in California for us. Let's turn from Tesla now uh, to a trade which sent stocks on a roller coaster ride this week, and Mr. Grasso noticed one particular asset that got caught up in the big swings. It's our chart of the week. What's your take on gold, sir? So gold is obviously when it's risk off, people run into gold. It's become, again, a safe haven. And when the Fed is out of play, when they're not cutting rates, this thing can't get out of its own way. But what I think the interesting thing is there's a chance on gold miners. Gold miners is two to one, basically, the performance of GLD. So gold miners are up 30 percent year to date. GLD up 15 percent. You're going to get your chance in January. February, March, to buy gold. When the market is... When the market starts, I believe, starts to run into a couple of headwinds where <clears throat> the long-short hedge funds want to take a shot at it again on the bear side. Yep. And I think you play GDX for that beta play. And that's the stocks. That's the ETF oh, that's the in ETF. the gold miners. In the gold miners. Because that's they're two-to-one yeah. relationships, so you get the higher beta move there. Thoughts on gold? Well, look at PGMs overall. Look at the move in platinum and palladium this year, which are, you know, tend to be, especially in the face of what's been going on in the auto industry, these are very bullish signs for metals, precious metals across the board. Uh, there was a time we said gold rallied on everything. Um, and, in fact, I do think you have a dynamic here. If we are searching for inflation and we have growth, gold will be under some pressure. Central banks continue to buy gold. Newmont Mining, either side of $40, has had this little stealth rally. To Steve's point, I think being in the miners in this environment makes sense, Ty. Let's go to our final trades. Tim, you get to go first. Sure. Well, a, a lot of gold is mined in a lot of places outside of this country, including emerging markets, which if you think about China's rating here and weighting in the overall indices and the moves we've had in that over the last couple of days, EEM looks very interesting to me. All right, BK, you're up. Well, you know, when you look at what rallied today, you saw oil rally very strongly. Next week, we got the Saudi Aramco IPO. I think you buy USO, you buy oil going into that catalyst. 
Wow. All right, Steve, you're up. So, uh, CAR, ticker symbol C-A-R. I've talked about it a lot from year, uh, from time to time over the years. I am currently still in this one. It's up 38% year-to-date. It's breaking out to me technically-wise uh, on what a technical is, what analysis. Is what is CAR? Avis budget. Avis budget. So everyone has put to dead what they think the rent-to-car business, but it's up 38%. I think it goes higher. The last word. Got we got fans at Georgetown University on Fifth Cop League. David is celebrating his birthday, but he's not out. You know what he's doing right now? No. He's watching the Fast Money, and then he's going to watch the OA, which, by the way, I'll be on in a few minutes. You're going to be here. You're with staying. With you, right my here. man. Yeah, sure. It's going to be fun. And it, Marathon Oil. Take There's a look Dan. at that sucker. MRO's going higher, Marathon Tyler. Oil. Back well, to it's you. about to lead to him. From what looked like a really bad week, it turned out to be a good week, and I'm glad I got to end it with you. Great guys. to have you, Tyler. Appreciate it. Really, thank you. That does it for Fast Money. Don't go anywhere. Options Action up next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.